<clears throat> you know, I've been, I've been going trick-or-treating since I was a little kid. We had the plastic mask and the little plastic things we wore. We've come a long way, right? But I decided, you know, trick-or-treat's kind of a mundane thing. You know, I've done that a long time. So I decided I'd take a different approach this year. So I went around my neighborhood and I'd ring the doorbell and I would tell them some of my jokes. Y'all are cruel, cruel. And uh, my wife said it's never going to work, but I, I'm here to tell you that I, I did get a couple Snickers. <laughs> all right. If you ever don't think I'm funny, you should see all the ones I throw out. That's that's really the. So uh, we've come full circle with the story of Joseph. We, uh, we've been working through Genesis uh, since the beginning of the year. And probably three months we've been chasing Joseph. Uh, we've got him down in Egypt. He's running Egypt now. His brothers have been back and forth because they're starving. There's no, there's no food in Israel. And I've told you before that I think Joseph is struggling with what to do. Because when the brothers show up, it's a surprise to him. And he wants to know, is my dad still alive? He wants to know about the old man. And then he wants to know about Benjamin, his biological son. But I'm telling you, inside, you can think whatever you want about these great godly men, but they were still just men. And I think he's still wrestling with, do I arrest them all? Do I throw them in jail? Do I let them suffer? Do I have them killed? What in the world do I do? But we finally have gotten to the point in chapter 46 where Joseph's ready to make peace with everybody. And he's invited, Pharaoh has invited his, his uh, Joseph's father, Jacob, now called Israel, and all of his family, the brothers, the grandkids, bring, said, just bring them all down to Egypt. Don't worry about sending grain to them. You bring them down. Everything is on me. I'm the king of Egypt. And uh, Joseph is uh, honored. And this time he steps in and he's going to welcome his family. But we find ourselves today in a, in a struggle. Well, what should, I, what should I be? I mean, you look at our culture, our world being torn apart. What should I be? Uh, since the 60s, people have been trying to find themselves. Let me tell you straight. Here's the, here's the answer. What you should be is like Jesus. All right? And then let everything else sort itself out. Because the world has always hated Christians, right? Ever since they started tarring us and using us for lights at the Colosseum, they were feeding us to the lions in Rome. We have never been popular. Anybody who has stood for the word of God, stood for Jesus, stood up and said, no, this is right and this is wrong. Anybody who has ever done that has faced persecution and many of them have been martyred. But I've got a destination and I've got a destiny to stand in the presence of God and give an account to him. And all that matters to me is what Jesus thinks of me, not what the world thinks of me. Who would have, who would have thought? Who would have thought that they would be putting the Star of David back on buildings in Berlin? We're back in 1941. This is crazy. Who would have thought Bill Maher whatever he is, 
comes out and says the new speaker of the house and his commitment to the Bible, because he said, if you want to know what my worldview is, pick up your Bible and you'll know everything I believe. Bill Maher said there's a fine line between him and the mass murderer up in Maine. Now listen, you get to a certain point in life where you just don't care what people think anymore. And as Christians, they don't like us. It's okay. The Jewish people have come to grips with that. You know, do you know the vote at the UN was 145 countries to condemn Israel, not Gaza, to condemn Israel. 14 countries voted to, that Israel had the right to protect itself. And then there was a whole bunch of cowards in the middle that didn't vote. Are you kidding me? Now, I don't think most Christians would vote. No, I think most Christians just wouldn't vote. They'd be in the middle somewhere just saying, hey, I like Switzerland. I, I just don't want to be a part, you know. you know. People always ask what's so great about Switzerland. All I know is their flag's a big plus. That's neither here nor there, but um, <clears throat> sorry. But um, yeah, we live in terrible times and it's going to get worse and the only thing that can make it better is the good news of Jesus that you and I have. And it's a message of forgiveness, a message of reconciliation, a message of peace. And Joseph is going to demonstrate in a smaller sense, we're not talking about the globe, but Joseph has the power to do anything he wants with his family. What he chooses to do is forgive them, love them, and provide for them. So if you'll stand out of respect for God's word. Uh, Jacob's family is now all headed to Egypt. There's uh, 66 of them. Plus Joseph, his wife and two kids. So there's 70. 430 years later when they leave. There will be 6 million people that leave in the exodus. You see why uh, Pharaoh got so nervous. When the Jewish people were growing strong. Now, Jacob sent Judah ahead uh, to see Joseph, to get directions to the land of Goshen. That's the land where they're going to live. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and he wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, now I'm ready to die since I've seen for myself that you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers, my father's household who are living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds. They tend livestock and they brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation? You tell them we are tenders of livestock from our boyhood, just as our fathers were. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Joseph went out and told Pharaoh, My father and brothers, with their flocks and herds and everything they have, have come to the land of Canaan, are now in Goshen. He chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked them, What is your occupation? They said, We are shepherds. They replied, Just as our fathers were. 
We have come to live here for a while because there's a great famine in Israel and your servant flocks have no pasture. So now please let your servants settle in Goshen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And if you know of any among them with a special ability, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? The years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult. and They don't equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh again and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt, gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramses, as Pharaoh had directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. You can be seated. All right. Before I get into the text, I want to do a little side preaching. Because I have, there's one verse in here that I have spent the entire time preaching on. And it's right before this story starts. So Pharaoh tells Joseph, tell your dad and everybody to come down here. Tell them to leave everything behind because I'm going to give them the best that Egypt has to offer. All right. Now let's pretend you're driving a 1972 Pinto. And your friend says, hey, leave the Pinto. I have a brand new Lexus waiting at my house. Just get over here. What would you do? I'd go. But Jacob does an interesting thing. Back to back verses. It says, Jacob, God is going to provide everything. Pharaoh said the best of the land is yours. Leave everything and come. And the next verse says, and Jacob began to pack up all of his stuff. Wow. How often has God promised you and me something so great and we want to pack up our junk and drag it behind us? You realize what's going on in Gaza right now is what's going to happen to the whole world? Now, I don't know the details, but Second Peter 3 says God will never flood the earth again, but he will take it out by fire. So everything that you hold dear, your car, your house, whatever your special item is in this world going to burn up or you're going to leave it and then it'll burn up but it doesn't matter but how often do we put all of our energy into the junk and we forget that God has promised us the best so the story starts when Joseph finally meets Jacob and he throws his arms around him and all it says is they stood there and they sobbed now I'll tell you where I'd like to have been I would like to have been back up in Israel, when those brothers had to tell their dad they've been lying to him for 25 years, that Joseph is not dead. Not only is he not dead, dad, but we're going down to Egypt and Joseph's going to take care of us. Now, certainly there would have been rejoicing, excitement, unbelief, but I'm guessing there were some other conversations that went on between Jacob and his boys as well. 
There had to be a lot of anger and a lot of bitterness and a lot of tears. A whole lot of stuff that's going on. But all that's behind us now. And now they're standing here by the Nile River hugging each other and just sobbing. And Jacob says, now I can die in peace because I know that my son is alive. Joseph could have made a lot of moves. I guarantee you, even at this moment, the boys are scared to death. Because later on, when dad's about to die, we'll see that in a couple chapters, they're like, oh no, we got to make some kind of deal with Joseph because now that the old man's gone, he's going to kill us still. So they had to have that in the back of their minds. Now that we've brought dad here, he may just take all of us out. Joseph does the most humble thing. He does have the power to take them out, imprison them. He has the power to let them starve to death. He could have taken care of Jacob and let the rest of them die. He says, listen, I've already worked this out for you. You're you're going to get the best of the land. You're going to be in Goshen. And uh, you'll be separated from the Egyptians because the Egyptians did not like the Jews. All right, nothing's really changed a lot through the years. Now, Goshen, I was there last week. Goshen is, is, in, uh, is in lower Egypt. It's, it's the Delta region. So Egypt is about two miles wide. It, you follow the Nile River. That's where they grow everything until you get up into the Delta right before Alexandria. And then it opens up into this huge area. And all of the crops that feed Egypt to this day are all grown in, Go- in Goshen. Because that's the fertile land. That's where the Nile spreads out. That's where all the, all the grains and fruits and vegetables, the cows are all up there. So Pharaoh puts them in the best place because Joseph said, hey, you make sure you say this to Pharaoh. Because if you do, he'll keep you away from the Egyptians that hate you and you'll get the best land. Wow. You see, I think it took Joseph all these years to soften his heart. Sometimes we want to fix something in a family, in a relationship. We want it fixed yesterday, and sometimes it takes time. God has to work on you, because I think when Joseph first saw his brothers, I think he did want to kill them. We know he put them in prison, but he softened. He's realized he doesn't want to be like them. He realizes, as Cord pointed out so well uh, a couple weeks ago, when Cord said, Joseph came to the, he said, you think you sold me into Egypt, but it was actually God. Because God's plan was for me to save many. Now don't forget the whole key in this story. He is saving millions of Egyptians, saves his own family. But the real point of this story is that bloodline we've been chasing from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Who's the Messiah? Where's the Messiah going to come? The Messiah is going to come through Judah's line. We'll get that in chapter 49. But if those boys die, what happens to the Messianic line? Jesus doesn't come. So Joseph realizes God has put me in a unique place. Let me go through some difficulties so that I can be here. But he's humble enough at that moment to love his dad, to love his brothers, to love their families. Jesus said it this way. It's not hard to find. There's lots of verses on humility in the Bible. It says, Jesus said, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. 
We live in a culture that says you got to put yourself up front. You got to be, you got to let people know who you are. Buy the car, buy the house, wear the suit, be the person. And Jesus said, no, you be a servant of all and you let me take care of the rest of it. What would happen if you and I decided to humble ourselves? What would happen to your marriage? Men, if you decided in spite of all that's wrong, you were going to humble yourself and treat your wife the way Jesus wants you to treat her. Ladies, what would happen if you decided in spite of how stupid your husband is? If you said, I am going to humble myself and I'm going to treat my husband the way Jesus treats me. What would happen in any relationship if that is the attitude we took? But then there's a second piece of this and it's gratitude to be thankful. Um, Jacob gets a chance to talk to Pharaoh. Now let let me explain this to you. You and I would not have gotten to talk to Pharaoh. Nobody got to talk to Pharaoh. Joseph talked to Pharaoh. A few servants get to hang out around him. But nobody got to talk to Pharaoh. And here comes this 130-year-old tattered shepherd. And he's in the presence of Pharaoh. And it says he blessed Pharaoh coming in. He blessed Pharaoh coming out. He's grateful because he realizes this man has saved his family. This man... Because of Joseph, but this man's decision has saved his life. Now, as we head into Thanksgiving, there's all kinds of stuff you can do, all kinds of stuff online. But here's what I'd like to challenge you to do, is to make a list of things that you're grateful for, but none of them can be things. Only here in the West do we measure things by things. Western Europe, United States, Canada. In the East, they think about friendships. They think about family. Um, they think about just being able to eat. When I, again, I'm in Egypt. I said, "Hey, uh, is the um, is the living wage still two dollars a day?" And they said, "Oh, no, no, it's it's improved." And I said, "Oh, oh okay." Um, inflation right now is forty percent. So he said, "Now people are making four dollars a day." Now there's 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 billionaires in Egypt. There's a hundred million people that live in the country. 50 million of them live on $4 a day. I don't care how much anything costs, try to live on $4 a day. The whole country is just barely, barely surviving. By the way, that's where every one of your churches are. They're in barrios like that where people are just surviving and the worship is so passionate you can't even imagine it. They are so thankful for what God has done in saving their soul and providing what little they have. It is an amazing thing to watch. But when's the last time we just said, you know what? I'm going to humble myself and realize this is not about me. The blessings I have are from God. Not only do I need to thank him, but I need to turn around and bless somebody else. Jim, Jim told me, I've never talked about Jim before, but Jim's one of the greatest hitters of all time. Played for the, the uh, White Sox and some other people. Um, told me, told me uh, I used to have a saying, don't ever pitch to Jim Tomey because he's going to hit a home run. It doesn't make any difference uh, where, where you're pitching. But Jim's a great godly man. And <clears throat> with all these prima donnas today, Jim, Jim came out and said, I just cannot imagine after all I've been blessed with, me walking away from a child and not signing an autograph. You see, 
That's humility. That's gratefulness. Realizing that God has done something in my life. God's blessed me with money. God blessed me. But these kids deserve to see that I'm a real person. And so many people get to thinking they're above all that. And what we need to do is remember who we are. Because I know we've got the cars and the houses and the clothes. And we like to think we're this and that. But deep down inside, can't we be honest? We're still little boys and little girls with our insecurities, our fears, our failures, and our sin. And sometimes we just need to stop and really say, God, thanks. And you can work that out with, with God. Uh, Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourself to prayer, watchful and thankful. The Greek is actually much more specific than that. The Greek actually says, devote, be stuck to Three things. Be stuck to prayer. Keep talking to God. Keep listening to God. Be stuck to being watchful. Watchful for what? Jesus coming back. I'm okay with that one. And then be stuck to thankfulness. Not so good at that one. Three things to work on. Just three things to say, this has got to be my priority. I keep praying, I keep watching, expecting Jesus to return, and I continue to be thankful for each and every moment and blessing God's given me. And then the end of the story is really interesting, and is it is to be a recipient. Now, for some, this is easy. For most Americans, it's not. There is a segment of our society that has figured out how to live very well without ever doing anything. I'm aware of that. But that's not most people. Most people have learned the American work ethic and have worked hard. Your families have worked hard. And that's that's truly the the, the biblical position. Paul said if a man won't work, he shouldn't eat. I didn't write that. That's pretty honest. I don't know if you know this, but when the Mayflower came... There were some freeloaders that when they got to the land, they, they started a community garden because they were trying to survive. And there was a couple of guys that just hung out and laid by a tree all day. The men got together, called a meeting, and went and met with those two guys. And they said something like this. They said, winter's going to come. And when winter comes and you haven't helped us with this garden, you're going to starve to death and we'll watch you. Guess what the two did? They got up and went to work. Yeah. Because they knew that they weren't playing. So there is a, it's a biblical mandate there. However, there are certain things in our lives that are gifts. And what Jesus did on the cross is a gift. And there are so many people that I know are going to go to hell because they can't accept a gift. If I said you got to swim to London to go to heaven, people would go into training. If that's what God said, hey, everybody's got to swim from New York to London. Everybody would go into training and they'd try. People would be drowning all over the North Atlantic, but they'd be trying. But when you say, listen, Jesus paid it all on the cross. All you've got to do is accept it. Repent of your sins. Confess Christ. Be baptized and follow him. People say, it can't be that easy. I want to swim to London. No, it it is that simple. Jesus paid the price. Today at four o'clock, we changed the time because the world decided to change the time. Uh, so our baptism day is at um, 
is at four o'clock uh, up at Tom Rennick Park. This is our last beach baptism until uh, the water starts to warm up again. And so four o'clock today, if, and what I love about it is that every time we do this, our people get on the phone. You guys get on the phone. You talk to your cousins, your friends, your neighbors. You say, hey, you've been wanting to make this decision. Today's the day. And uh, show up there at 4 o'clock. It's one of the greatest things that, that we do. Uh, no bloopers this week. I'm sorry. There was uh, no, nothing terrible happened at the, uh, at the last one. Uh, but you will get to see some of the, the baptism pictures that have happened. But I read this story recently in the Great Wall of China, which is, you know, is protected by uh, INESCO and everything you can imagine, World Heritage Site. And there's always some crazy people. And they came along and decided to break a hole in it so they could drive through it. It's, it goes on for thousands of miles. And, of course, it caused irreparable damage. And people are beside themselves. And they'll go to jail forever and then a few evers um, when, they, when they get these guys uh, fit, crowded up. But... Um, the truth is, in our lives, some of us think what I've done is I've done irreparable damage. All the sleeping around, all the drugs, all the alcohol, all the lying, stealing, cheating, the wall can't be fixed. In human terms, you are correct. But Jesus died to fix that wall for every one of us. And there's not a person here that's getting into heaven any other way except through the free gift that Jesus gave to us. So, Father, as we finish, I have no idea what parts and pieces the Holy Spirit needs to bring home. Is it to be bold and stand? Is it to be humble? Is it to be more grateful? Or is it to be more acceptable and recipient of the gift that you've given us? I don't know who needs to be saved. I don't know who needed a word of hope and encouragement today. But God, your word says that it would not come back empty. So Lord, I ask you to go to work in Jesus' name. Amen.